morning there's some things uh, I want to just kind of clarify in the intro here before getting to the thrust of the sermon. Um, first of all, the book of Job, almost 90% of it is on the one sermon that I'm preaching this morning. It's, it's 90% of the book of Job records the conversations between Job and his friends. This morning, we're going to look at those conversations. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job has been supernaturally struck with disaster and chaos by Satan. And so far, he has held fast his integrity. And this morning, we see Job's wife and Job's friends now come on the scene and begin to share their thoughts and their opinions. Job has just been through the worst trial that any of us could ever imagine. He has lost his children. He has lost his possessions, his homes, everything. And now he has even lost his health. Job has stood fast in his integrity to this point. But now comes one of the greatest tests of all. Rather than getting support from his wife, Rather than getting support from his friends, they actually pour on more pressure on Job and are trying to, it's not on purpose as we're going to see, but that's what they're doing. And, and literally now Satan is using them in an attempt to get Job to crack. It's really significant that We've got two quick chapters that tell us about this supernatural attack of Job, and then we have like 30 chapters that just record the conversation between Job and his friends. Why is so much of the book of Job on the conversation he has with his friends? It doesn't necessarily tell us, but I will tell you what I believe as a student of the Word understanding the poetic form of the book of Job, I believe is communicating to us that 90% of our battle actually happens here in this realm, that it's not all supernatural, Satan smiting us with supernatural stuff, but that much of the battles that we face are dealing with bad counsel from good people. Sometimes the bad counsel is from our own mind, and it's our own mind that we're trying to figure out what we should do. The other thing that I see is literally... It's as if Satan piles on supernatural drama and trauma into Job's life. And then when that doesn't work, it's like Satan says, I'll hand it over to your friends. And we see that naturally, much of the battle we face really comes down to the people in our lives, the counsel that they give, the, the conversations that we have in our daily living, trying to figure out how do we live in this world, why is it so difficult, and why are we going through what we go through. So let's get started this morning with four final lessons from Job's time of testing. Next week we move to Job and God. Things change when God shows up on the scene and begins speaking. I cannot wait for next week. I had planned on preaching it in one message. And I'm going to spend time this week praying on do I do it one message or do I break next week's message into a mini three-part series. Because here's what God tells Job next week. He says, stand like a man. 
Next week's sermon title is Like a Man. And we're going to look at what it means to be like a man according to God. We're going to look at how God addresses men. And so anyways, next week things change. This week we study the final section in the book of Job of Job's suffering. And we see his friends now and his wife become a part or a source of his suffering. It's a sad story. But it's true, and we've got to look at it. We've got to learn from it. So the first lesson this morning is that well-intentioned people can give dangerous counsel. People with good intentions can give really bad advice. Why? Well, Job's wife, in her case, she just wanted Job to quit hurting. Job's wife says to Job, curse God and die. Now, I want to say something in defense of Job's wife. She had lost everything Job had lost. Until Job's health had been taken from him, everything that Job lost, she lost. She lost her kids. She lost all that they had. Everything else that affected Job, it impacted her as well. And so she's hurting, and now she sees her own husband inflicted with a strange disease that literally has boils on his body on the bottom of his feet all the way to the top of his head. It's kind of obvious something's going on. This is not natural. It's obvious that Job is under this supernatural attack, and she just wants the pain to go away. And so she says to Job, just curse God and die. Like in her mind, apparently that was the final thing that if Job would just do that, God would put him out of his misery. It was bad advice. I'm not defending the advice. I, it's just what I'm trying to say is you need to understand the position of her heart was like, I am tired of seeing us hurt. I'm tired of seeing you hurt. Whatever it takes to get out of this pain, just do that so that you don't suffer anymore. And it's bad advice. And Job speaks back to her and says, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. This is not a sexist comment. He's not saying you speak like a woman. There are men who speak foolish things. There are women who speak foolish things. And he's just making a direct comment. You're speaking like a foolish woman. And Job says, shall we not receive good from God and also receive evil from God? I want to address that word because it can be confusing if you don't really understand what Job is saying. The word evil literally means disaster. That's what it means. It's not the same word that we use of when we think of, um, a lot of times we use that word in the context of Satan and the realm of wickedness. The word evil is, can be literally translated as disaster. And here's what Job is saying. He says, listen, God is sovereign over everything. Are, are we going to only accept when God sovereignly chooses to give us good? Shall we not also ex, you know, ex, uh, be willing to receive from God when disaster comes, when famine comes, when earthquake comes, when sorrow comes, when death comes? Like we have to trust God in all of this. And the word that is used there is disaster. It's the same word later when it says Job's friends saw all the evil that come upon him. It's, it's the word disaster. And Job's just saying to his, his wife, you're speaking foolishly here. 
We've got to trust in God's sovereignty when good happens, when bad happens, like, like all of it, we have to trust God. Now, the first piece of bad advice here, and this is so important that you understand it this morning, is coming from somebody that simply out of love, they don't want Job to suffer anymore. And sometimes people that love you will give you bad advice just because they want to see you happy. They want to see you succeed or they want to see you blessed. And so the advice that they give, it's not always coming from this wrong place of trying to get you to do something bad, but they don't, they don't understand everything that's going on. They don't know what God is doing in your life. They don't always understand how God might be using trauma or God might be using difficulty or God might be teaching you patience or God might be teaching you how to accept the answer no for once in your life. They don't know what God's doing. And sometimes your friends who just love you and want what's in their mind best for you, they're going to give you bad advice because they just don't want to see you hurt. This is important to understand that even people who love you sometimes are just going to give you the wrong counsel. That doesn't mean they're bad people. These are good friends. Job's wife was a good wife. She, she, wasn't, she, she was a great wife. There's no indicator that she wasn't. She's at her wit's end. She's hurting. She's going through pain too. She sees her, her husband suffering, and her advice is just like, curse God. Bad advice. Don't do that, Job. But it was coming from this place of, you shouldn't have to endure this. You shouldn't have to suffer like that. You shouldn't be dealing with this. You don't deserve this. And therefore, you should take matters into your own hand, and you should do things however you want to do things that you think will be the shortest path towards no longer having to endure this pain. And sometimes people just say bad things they shouldn't say. I've seen people suffering with sickness and, and some of the things people say to them are just, it's like, listen, don't say that. You're just trying to be nice. I get it. You're just trying to minimize pain. Don't, don't tell some, don't, don't. Got to be careful under the bad advice specifics. The point being, it's important to understand that not everybody that loves you is always going to give you the best advice. And so we've got to learn to be cautious in just receiving direction from our friends, even at times from our family. We've got to be cautious against just receiving it simply because we know they love us and therefore they want what's best for us. Therefore, what they say must be true. Not always. That's not always the case. Job's friends. Look at the advice of Job's friends. We're going to get into it. And... His friends give much worse advice, but ultimately his friends just want Job to quit hurting also. Before I really trash Job's friends, which I'm about to do, simply by reading their own words, let me read an important, I want to read you again from verse 11. It says, they came together, and I quote, to show him sympathy and comfort him. So the Word of God teaches us the motive of their hearts. They were coming to bring sympathy. They were intentioned to comfort him. These are good friends. These are not bad guys. But they end up blowing it. 
Now, Job's friends came at it from a very different perspective. Because we know they wanted to comfort Job, because we know that Job was an upright and blameless man, we can assume that his three best friends were also fairly similar in their integrity and their concern for the things of God. We see that they're even trying to defend God. And so these are good men. These are righteous men. These are what we would call Christian men, followers of the Lord, and yet their advice gets off the rails, folks. Their advice just is terrible. But their ultimate goal was to do the same thing. They wanted Job to quit suffering. They wanted Job to be happy. But here's what they assume. The reason Job's suffering is because our brother over here has got some secret sin in his life, and it's our job to hammer through the truth here and get him to fess up. So keep in mind, Job has lost everything. Job is not healthy. Job's wife has now told him to curse God and die. The man is in physical pain with this sickness that he's dealing with. Now let me show you some of the things his friends say. Job 4, verses 7 through 9. Here's what Eliphaz has to say. Remember who that was innocent ever perished. Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. So his first friend opens up his mouth and says, Hey, the reason you're suffering is because you're getting you're sowing, you know, reaping what you've sown, Job. That's the law. That's how this thing works. And so you're suffering because of your own actions. None of us have ever seen anything else in our lives. This is the way it works. What a terrible thing to say to Job. Imagine Job hearing this, needing comfort from his friends, and instead they're raining down judgment on him. Look what Bildad says in Job 8. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? I want to, I want to address uh, real quick what Bildad, and then you're about to hear Zophar, both of them talk about the, the words of Job. So Job's first friend speaks and says, this is all your fault. The reason you're suffering is because you're a sinner, and you need to repent. Job's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea why I'm going through what I'm going through. I honestly don't have anything I can point to in my life that God would be bringing this type of judgment down upon me. And then Job's friends are like, oh, now you're a liar. Now you won't even tell the truth. Now these words coming out of your mouth, they're just like a blistering wind of nonsense. So this is what his friends are, when they're referencing these words, they're talking about Job defending himself. All right, again, let's look what Bildad says. Verse 3. Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against Him, He has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then He will rouse Himself for you, restore your rightful habitation, and though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. So Bildad says, and has the audacity to say, for me, this was one of the things that was said that was just like, wow. He says, the reason your children are all dead is because they're sinners. Man, that's hard. 
That's crazy. Who says that to a suffering friend after all that they've gone through? And how does Bildad know? I mean, that is so crazy to me, but that's what he said. It's just mind-blowing that someone would say that to somebody in their time of difficulty and pain and sorrow. But this is what Bildad says. And then look what his third friend says in Job 11. Then Zophar, the Namathite, answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered? And a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men? And when you mock, shall no one shame you? So now now their purpose has changed. It's to shame Job. For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Wow. So this guy's take is that everything you've suffered, Job, doesn't even equal the suffering you deserve. This is crazy. Now, I just picked three, three, select scriptures to show the attitude of these friends. I want you to keep in mind there are nearly 30 chapters of this stuff. 30. And I would strongly encourage you, if you really want to get all that there is out of the book of Job through this sermon series, go read it. It's tough to read. It's like, dang, you guys don't stop. It wasn't like this was their little, we're going to work this in. No, it is, I could have picked, oh, I just, I'm not kidding. It was like, well, just open up a chapter and select a little piece. The whole thing's like this. It's ruthless. And then when Job responds, they just circle back around and dig in even harder. Why? Why is Job's wife telling him to curse God and die? And more specifically this morning, why are his friends giving this long discourse? Before I move to point two and answer why, I just want to say again that just because somebody loves you does not mean they're always giving you the best advice. And this isn't just bad advice. This is dangerous, in my opinion, the things that Job is hearing from the people in his life that should be guiding him the right way. So what are we to learn? Number two this morning. Here's the next lesson. A wrong belief system leads to wrong advice. A wrong belief system leads to wrong advice. This is exactly what happened with Job's friends. It's exactly what happened. They had a wrong belief system. And I'm going to address their belief system in a moment. But can I tell you that over the years that I've done ministry, I've seen a lot of good people who truly wanted what was best for the people they were advising I've seen a lot of good people give really bad advice in the church. I've seen people advise people not to participate in small groups, not to participate in children's ministries, not to participate in youth group, not to participate in in church in general. Uh, 
I've seen people tell people to get out, you know, advise people to get out of marriages way too early, way too quick. Uh, I, 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 and almost always it comes down to the, the same reason Job's wife was telling Job to curse God and die. They just want to see the person that they're advising happy. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you feel like, you know, you're not getting enough out of church. Well, then don't go. That's stupid advice. If anybody's ever given you that advice, that's bad advice. You'd be surprised to know that church is not all about you and that the whole reason you're here this morning wasn't so that we could gather around you and worship you and make your experience amazing so that you feel worshiped. At some point in time, you need to show up to worship God. Yep. And when we tell our teenagers they don't need to be going to youth group, what we're telling them is really it's all about you. When we tell our fifth graders, oh, you know what, I understand you don't like being with the first and second graders anymore. You feel a little mature for that, and so, you know, you don't have to go. Here's what we're telling them. Church is really about you. And once you get back to a place where you feel like it's all around you and you feel worshipped, come on. It's bad advice. I've seen people give just terrible advice on how to handle relationships with people. And almost always, it's ultimately at the heart selfishly trying to give somebody what they want so that they will feel better about where they're at. Job's friends, their wrong belief system, if I was to try to point it to a belief system that matches today that we could relate to, Job's friends were all like classic prosperity gospel preachers. I mean, they truly believed that if you follow God, if you do what is right, if you always do the right thing and you walk uprightly, then God will only allow good in your life and he will never allow harm. That's what they believed. And then all of a sudden, when disaster comes into Job's life because they have a wrong belief system, they start to give wrong advice. Can you see how a wrong belief system can be very dangerous in what you believe? It can be very dangerous in the counsel you type of, the type of counsel that you give. It can be very dangerous in the counsel you're willing to receive when people are talking to you if they've got a wrong belief system. If you truly believe these things, it impacts not only the way you live, but it impacts the advice you give. I know it's a true story of a family in Texas that was part of what you could call a traditional prosperity gospel church. And one of the belief systems there being that if you really have faith, um, that number one, whatever you pray comes to pass as long as you pray it in Jesus' name and you believe with enough faith. And number two, in order to demonstrate faith, we can't lean upon crutches that would somehow give any type of glory to anybody other than God. It's amazing how close somebody can be, but yet how far off. And so this family, that thought, well, that sounds right. That sounds true. My pastor's telling this. My counselors are telling, telling me this. So they went home. I believe their son was eight years old. He was born a diabetic. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to shut the doors. We're going to lock the doors. It's going to be us with our boy. And we're going to cut the medicine. We're going to take him off his diabetic medicine. And they let him go into a coma. And they prayed over him while they were trying to let him be healed by faith. And the boy died right there in their room. They buried him with an absolute belief that God was going to raise him back up from the dead, 
because this was just a little bit more of God's test to see if they would hold true or not. And they knew that they knew that they knew that they knew God was going to raise them back up from the dead. And finally, two or three months go down the road, and they realize our boy's not coming back to life. He's dead because we took him off of the medicine, and we've been duped by a wrong belief system. I've seen people walk away from the faith because they were told, just like Job's friends are telling Job, that if you do it right, you love God, and you live upright, and you walk by faith, you will only be blessed. That's the formula. No suffering, no sorrow, no pain. Now, here's the thing. That's not true, but people believe it. And then all of a sudden, they're going through life, and you know what happens? Disaster happens. Just mind-blowing. They still get sick. Have you ever seen anybody that's in that group of people? I know I'm kind of picking on them right now, but Job's friends are in that group, so they get targeted this morning. Have you ever seen that group of people walking around, like, coughing like crazy, but they're like, no, I ain't sick. I ain't speaking that word. Uh-uh. No, no. <laughs> like, well, whatever you're not sick with, could you just not be sick with it over there, please? <laughs> Stay away from me, because I don't want to be not sick either. It's insanity. But I want to say it again, good people. I'm not saying these folks aren't good people. I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they're not sincere. I'm not saying they're not honest. And sometimes we forget that. We can actually get mad at this group of people and, 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 and because of the harm that can kind of come from, from this mindset. And, and it is something that needs to be dealt with seriously. But these are good people. They're not bad people. These are people that love Jesus. These are people that are trying to honor God with their living. And this is a very important lesson. It's hard to, ex- to, to accept, but good people that truly love us can give us bad advice. And a wrong belief system will almost always lead to wrong advice. And that's what happened here with Job's friends. They had a wrong mindset. Can I say that I think there's also a warning here in who we're willing to receive advice from for everything. There's nothing wrong with having good believers in your life, friends that you can go to in your time of need. Everybody needs that. But I think there are certain things that at times you need to be talking with God-ordained pastors about and at the very least get their opinion on the matter. There are certain things that are difficult to comprehend, difficult to deal with. Biblically, you need someone who's dedicated their life to the study of the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and not just someone who's dedicated their life to it, but someone whom God has called to do that and gifted to do that. There's a lot of wisdom when you're making big decisions to talk with a pastor, and it needs to obviously be a pastor that knows his stuff. And I'll be honest with you, folks, a lot of pastors don't. And I've, well, I've, said, in, I've said in meetings with pastors where we're all guilty of the same thing. I've said, in, I've said in meetings with pastors where we're sitting around talking, it's just pastors, we're talking about life, and all of a sudden we're all acting like Job's wife. You know, we're like, oh, no, no brother, you don't need to put up with that. You don't need to deal with that. And we're really just trying to make somebody feel better. 
oh, there's not anything you're doing wrong, man. I mean, all of our churches are struggling, and there's, there's, there's no, nothing you can do different. There's no, you know, don't beat yourself up for losing members and the church shrinking. Well, hold on. Maybe, maybe we need to have an honest conversation about this. I mean, we, we are the head here, folks. I mean, maybe if the church is not doing well, Maybe if you're losing people, and maybe if people aren't being saved, we should at least have an honest conversation about what you're doing with the people God's put into your care. Like, we don't have to be mean about it or rude about it, but it's crazy that our instinct is just to immediately comfort, 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 comfort as well. We, you know, we want everybody to feel better. And so it's important, real important, that you've got good people in your life people that are qualified to be counseling you. There's wisdom in the multitude of counselors the Bible teaches us. That's another important term. Don't ever get so wrapped up in the counsel of one person or one or two people that you don't step outside of that circle every now and then and get somebody that might have a different vantage point, especially if you can get somebody into your life that, you know, like a pastor or somebody that's qualified. I'll tell you this, that most bad advice I've seen Christians receive has come from church members commenting on things that really they needed their pastors to be handling. Most of it. Not all of it, but most of it. Number three this morning. We see the spiritual war has both supernatural and natural components. So in the first two chapters of Job, clearly, clearly it's a supernatural attack. But the next 90% of the book, it's all natural. And I think there's a great lesson here to understand that much of the natural, much of our soup, uh, the spiritual war does have a natural aspect to it where it's people in our lives. It's humans that are just giving bad advice. It's bad advice floating around in my own head, and I need to take my thoughts captive. But most of the stuff that we deal with is not going to be Satan specifically smiting us with supernatural sickness. Most of the stuff we deal with is going to be the day in, day out, learning how to decipher the good advice from the bad advice, learning to decipher, these people love me, and they want what's best for me, but in some ways, that means they're not most qualified to give me this advice right now, because they just don't want me to hurt. It takes some wisdom to see that. It takes a willingness in our own lives to recognize and check our own heart as well. Like, so if I'm giving advice, am I just coming at this from the angle of, I just don't want this person to hurt. I just don't want this person to suffer. And am I willing to be honest about what's really going on? And am I willing to, to maybe even sit and listen? These men that are talking to Job and these 30 chapters, they're, you know, it's not like they're un under some trance of Satan. They're simply adding to the stress that Job is under with their own natural conclusions about spiritual things. At times, good friends can become part of Satan's tool chest in your life. I know that when I say that, that is hard to hear. And the Bible teaches us we need each other. I actually believe this is one of the reasons the Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Because 
sometimes we need more than just the counsel of our friends. But sometimes good friends can become part of Satan's tool chest. Lead us in the wrong direction. Sometimes we're guilty of that when, when we're the ones on the giving of the advice side. One of the things I find interesting about Job, and I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to read too much into it, but I see it. Job's friends were doing fantastic until they opened their mouths. I mean, they were awesome. They're, they've got compassion. They love him. They come. The Bible says they wept. Us men don't typically weep. I mean, they wept. That's how bad a condition Job is, and that tells us that's how much they actually loved Job. They didn't show up with some war path to come down on Job. And it says they sat there and just were with him for like seven days. It's awesome. Then they talked. And there's, I think there's some lessons there, though. Like, I've had to learn in my own life, I don't always have to have the answer for everything. Great tip, wives, do not, none of this, uh-uh. But great tip for you husbands. Every time your wife tells you something, she's not necessarily looking for an answer. And sometimes we've got to learn to just listen. Just listen. And I'll tell you, as someone in my role as a pastor, not only is that something I had to learn in my marriage, but I had to learn it with you all. That you all aren't always looking for an answer. There doesn't have to be one. I don't have to be able to explain, as Job's friends were so diligently trying, I don't have to be able to explain why you're going through what you're going through. Sometimes it's okay for me to just say, man, I am heartbroken. Really am. I'm sorry couldn't imagine what you're going through. And many of you have experienced things I could not imagine. I've never been through them. Can't, I can't even relate. I'd be a fool to pretend that I could relate. I can't relate. And it's okay that I can't relate. And it's okay that I don't know why it's happening. And it's okay that I don't know what the answer is. But you need to know I'm here for you. We'll get through this thing together. I'll pray for you. I love you. You're not going to battle this alone. Sometimes that's all I've got to say, but I'm going to tell you something. When I was a 20, 30-year-old pastor, now that I'm 50, Chris, <laughs> when I was in my 20s and 30s, I felt like I had to have an answer to everything. Well, here's probably why you're suffering. Here's probably why what you're going through. Here's the next step to hope. Here's what you need to do from here. And I've learned sometimes when, when you feel that way, a lot of times you end up saying stupid things because you feel like you have to say something. And sometimes the best friend we can be to somebody is be willing to not always have to have an answer and be willing to just kind of say, hey, we'll get through this thing together. Guard yourself against becoming one of these friends that gives bad advice. Guard yourself against being led to make bad decisions because good friends have given you bad advice. Fourth, this morning... The fourth thing that we see here, and it really, for me, um, hit home as I studied all of the book of Job. At some point, every child of God must learn to stand for God alone. At some point, every one of us must learn to stand for God alone. 
I tried to put myself in Job's shoes, like thinking about how, how alone he had to feel. His wife told him to curse God and die. He's out, you know, at some pit by himself, probably a trash pit because he's in ashes. There's broken pottery. More than likely, he was probably at the, the, a trash pit. But wherever he is, he's by himself. Then his friends show up, and even his friends end up heaping condemnation on him. And I'm like, that guy's all alone, man. And so far, God hasn't spoke. So far, it feels like God's a million miles away in this story from Job's perspective. He don't know what's going on. Job hasn't read the book of Job yet. He doesn't know. And he's all alone. And this is a truth that at some point, all of us must learn to stand for God all alone. When it feels like my friends don't understand, they're not on the same page as me. My spouse doesn't understand, they're not on the same page as me. I've lost it all, I have nothing, it's just me, and I, can't, I don't even know where God is in this. And there is a decision to be made that either I'm going to choose, it doesn't matter if the whole world turns, it doesn't matter if a delusion falls on all of my friends, on all of my family, I will serve God and I will be faithful to Him no matter what comes my way. Job was in that place. I want to say when I, I, this, this place of being all alone that sometimes it might feel like you're all alone, but you're really not. Sometimes it will feel that way, but you're not necessarily all alone. But I believe God lets us get to that way even if, even if we're wrong about it so that it feels that way. Because we, we, we've got to get to the place, like God's bringing us to a place where it's just us and it's just Him. And the question is, am I going to be faithful to you? And I, and I, I, I mean this, at, at one point or another, I believe that every child of God goes through this. There's going to be times when you feel like, you know, you might be a Christian, brought up in a Christian home. There's going to be times when it feels like you, you, st- you feel like nobody understands what's going on, your parents don't understand, your siblings don't understand, your friends don't understand, the church don't understand, you are all alone. There's going to be times, husband and wife, that you're together, and it's not necessarily that, you know, your wife's telling you to curse God and die. It's not necessarily that maybe your spouse is telling you that, you know, you, you, you need to sin against God or pressuring you to make a bad decision. But there can, be, there can come a time in marriage where, where you guys are so not on the same page that you feel like God is here, it's me, it's all alone. Nobody's for me. Even my wife isn't for me or even my husband isn't for me. I'm here all alone. Nobody's on my side. It's all me. Now, I've never felt that way, but I'm sure most of you have. Here's the reason that I've felt that way. Here's the reason my wife has felt that way at times. Here's the reason all of you have felt that way sometimes. Because... It is the will of God to lead us at times to a place where it's just us and us, just God. And we've got to get it settled in our heart. God, I'm going to be faithful to you because you're God and nothing else in the world matters. And if you're like me, a lot of times once you get past that trial and you're on the other side of it, you look back and you're kind of like, dang, man, you're being a baby. You weren't all alone. You got people to love you. You have people that are on your side the whole time. Your wife was right. You were wrong. You were just being a baby. 
deacons behind you, you got friends behind you, pastors behind you, the church loves you. And I'm like, man, I was just really, my, I, was in, I was in a bad headspace during that period of time. But still yet, God used that in my life. God used it in my life for me to get it settled once and again and time again in my heart. God, I'm going to be faithful to you whether I feel like I'm all alone or not. I want to close this morning. I'll go ahead and ask our worship team if you guys will get in place. Next week, the story takes a turn. God shows up next week. God begins to speak. Everything starts to change. But as we've studied the first three weeks here, the life of Job, I cannot overstate the importance that suffering plays in our faith, that there is a time and place for it. And that while it's not God that causes it, Satan is the source of the suffering. It is God who outsmarts Satan and takes what was meant for evil and uses it for good. It is God in Romans 8 that teaches us who takes all things, even the bad, and uses them for our good. That's what, that's what it teaches us. And so... We have to have an honest understanding of what this Christian journey looks like, folks. In some ways, you could say the Christian journey is a journey of ups and then back downs. And then God takes us up and then he allows us to come back down and then back up and then back down. If you look at the trajectory of your life, your spiritual journey, you're going to see that's sort of what it was like. Sometimes it goes up and it plateaus for a long time. It's like, man, it's been good for years. And then, poof, something happens and you fall straight off. That's one way to look at it. And another way to look at it, as I've discussed in the last couple of weeks, that it's not actually, the Christian journey is not normally like one or the other. Either you're up or you're down. It's good or it's bad. Normally, there's a little bit of both going on. There's certain things in your life that are fantastic, that are really good, that is very healthy, that in this area of my life, I'm up here on the mountaintop, while simultaneously over in this here, in this area of my life, it's actually really hard and I'm really struggling right now. What we see so far in the book of Job is it's in those times where we're struggling that those are actually the greatest platforms for us to demonstrate our faith in God. Those are the greatest platforms for us to show that our commitment to Him is unwavering. I love being on the mountaintop. And I'm thankful that at times God lets us rest up there and takes us there. It's awesome. But you know it and I know it. Satan knows it. The rest of the world knows it. If that's where I live all the time, then everybody else can just say the only reason I love God is because my life is good. That's not the only reason I love God. But you can say that if that's the only place that I ever praise Him you put me down here you let me go through pain and sorrow and you strip all those excuses away and now we find out what type of man I really am I've said this several times over the last three weeks when you see this it changes the way you see suffering it changes it. it doesn't necessarily make me long for it but when it does when trauma introduces itself to my life I see it differently God this is my stage this is my time God help me to stay strong through it all God, help me to be faithful through it all. 
As we close out this section of Job, which deals with Job's trauma, simply want to ask you this morning, do you have friends in your life that you just need to be a little more cautious about how you handle their advice? I ask you this morning, do you need to be a little bit more cautious in the advice that you give?